Welcome to BitFriends Podcast, Living Life and Love. I'm your host, Mark Braxton from Raleigh, North Carolina. BitFriends is a national vitiligo support community founded by Valerie Molyneux. For more information about BitFriends, you can visit us at www.bitfriends.org. You can also call us at 844-374-3639. Welcome to Living Life in Love. I'm your host, Mark Braxton from Raleigh, North Carolina. So today I have a very special show. Uh, the topic is going to be a little bit different. Normally, you know, I'll talk about vitiligo. I'll have special guests, you know, from different um I would say different businesses sometimes, you know, I'll have musicians, I'll have um, writers, you, you name it. I'm going to have everybody on. So I decided this time to have on a fellow educator so we can discuss um, some of the things that we're seeing in the school system or have experienced um, in the past and bring it up to the present and share some of our thoughts about uh, being educators and not just being educators, but being men, not just being men, but being black men in the school system. So I'd like to welcome my guest, James Smith. Welcome, James. Hey, how's it going, man? Glad to hey, be on. Glad to be on. Man, pretty good, man. Can't complain. I'm glad you had this opportunity to join me. So uh, before we really dig into the conversation, you know, this is a podcast um, for the vitiligo community. However, yeah. when I look at vitiligo, I look at people first. Mm. And we have educators that have vitiligo. So yeah. I think this is a relevant topic and discussion, you know, and me being one, I'm an educator and I also have vitiligo. So there it is. <laughs> All right. um, James, take a, a few minutes just to introduce yourself and to our listening audience. Well, uh, my name is uh, uh, James uh, W. Smith. I'm a native of New Bern, North Carolina. Um, Proud graduate of the Shaw University. Shaw University. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, a uh, member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. That's a blue Phi. Blue Phi. <laughs> yeah, I won't get too loud. My my wife might think I'm crazy. <laughs> That's my line, brother. <laughs> All right, LBs. Uh, got 30 years coming up, man. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, man. That time moves so fast, you know. It, it sure does. We were just but, um, babies yesterday, and now today we we grown old men. <laughs> full grown, full grown. <laughs> no, but, that's um, right. I teach um, high school social studies at the Duplin County Center of Opportunity. That's the alternative school for our county. And glad to be on. Glad to be All on. All right. <laughs> I appreciate it. So, James, we're going to have a great discussion because I, I feel like um, with everything we've seen going on in the world um, yeah. for not just this week, but for the past decades or so, we don't hear enough from the educators. You know, mm -hmm. I notice they'll talk to uh, parents, they talk to children, they talk to politicians, but they don't talk enough to us. So I want to give us yeah. an opportunity to really share and open up about, you know, being in the school system. Yeah. So. Let's talk. Let's talk. Um, what What's your experience being a black male teacher, and particularly in a high school, because I'm elementary. So yeah. you shared, and I'll share a little bit about my experience. Um, actually, it's it's a rewarding experience. Um, like I said, we have a, I'm at the alternative school, so we get students who, for whatever reason, behaviorally, what have you, cannot function in a regular school environment. So they come to my classroom. And um, 
I do, I'm aware of my presence because a lot of my kids, my students, or my scholars, as I call them, it's their first time ever having a black male. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. So, and so when they're when they come in, kind of trying to fill me out and try to test those boundaries, <laughs> right? You know, I get that you know that deep man voice, a straight up, you know, get right, you know. But I don't have to raise my voice. I just the presence keeps the room under control. And there's a mutual respect as well. Absolutely. But um, I love it. It's rewarding. Um, of course, I'm teaching history. You know me. <laughs> right. Absolutely. History I, buff. There we go. Yeah, I, I do that for free. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, but, but being a black male, I do notice that um, the students do respond to me differently because a lot of them is their first time ever having a black male. Um, and even with some of the black boys, they kind of, uh, they kind of you know, navigate towards me. Even if I don't teach them, they kind of navigate towards me. But I understand that. And I use that, um, I use my presence as a avenue to, to mentor and to get these boys on the right track. So it's, it's very enjoyable, very enjoyable. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit from the elementary standpoint. Um, mm -hmm. Now, when I started with Wake County, I did middle school, always mm -hmm. BED, you know, uh, behavior classes um, or SPED. Mm -hmm. And um, I decided I'd rather start in the elementary because if, I feel like if I'm going to make an impact, I want to make it when they're young. Mm -hmm. And maybe as they get older, they can remember some of, some of those life lessons and and change, you know, because, yeah. you know, when she hit that middle school age, that that's different. You know, that's a whole yeah. different level. I feel like high school, you're trying to discover what am I going to do with my life? Middle school, you're just yeah. in between. You're not that kid. You're not quite there. The high school, you're just stuck. And that's a unique experience. Those tweeners, those tweens are different. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but in the elementary school, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest with the listeners. I left in... December, and I'll get into that a little bit later uh, when mm -hmm. we start talking about some of the challenges in the school. I left because I, I just, I was burnt out. I'm just going to be honest. Oh, yeah. I was burnt out. Mm -hmm. And I needed these six months to really recuperate and rethink a few things. And I had some coworkers contact me and they said, you know, Mr. Braxton, we want you to come back. The kids want you to come back. Everybody misses you. So I did. You know, I, I'm back in as a substitute for right now. The school year is about to end. Mm -hmm. But walking through that hallway was so rewarding. The oh, kids, yeah. Mr. B, we miss you. Where did you go? I just told them I was on, on a sabbatical. And <laughs> I had to take a little time away. <laughs> got them, um, got them going to the dictionary and see what it's about. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I needed that time away. And yeah. I realized I missed it a lot. And mm -hmm. the kids missed me. And I even had coworkers I never talked to that said, we miss seeing you in the school. So it's important to have that presence. Yes. And for, for our listeners that don't know, I'm the only black male in my school. Wow. And I've been the only black male for quite some time, besides the, the custodian, you know. But I'm talking yes. about in the classroom, working with, work with the students. And um, yes. it's rewarding, it's challenging, and it's draining at times because all the kids demand your attention. Yes. You know, it's like being a celebrity. You walked on the hall, Mr. B, Mr. B, Mr. B, high five, elbow. And and we're going to talk about something in just a minute. But for me, it was so rewarding. And then we got hit hard. Yes. We got hit with the pandemic. 
you know, let, let's talk about that a little bit. And we'll circle back around about, you know, having that experience of having that black male in the classroom, you know, based on our own personal experiences. But let's let's talk about the pandemic, what it did to education, what it did to the students and what it did to the educators, because they, yeah. they seem to forget about us. Oh, yes. Well, man, first of all, um, the, the pandemic, the crazy part is that I was actually um, at a middle school when the pandemic hit. And, and I and then I applied to the school I'm at now. Um, but listen, one thing it did um, for the students, it exposed the disparities. Right, right. Between the haves and have nots. Because um, at the high school, I had students, right? Students had access to broadband Students didn't have access to broadband. Um, I live in a rural county, so that was always right. an issue, right? Um, students who had support and students didn't have support. Right. And here's one thing at the high school, we had students that had to drop out because their parents worked in jobs that closed down. Right. So a lot of my students became the primary breadwinner. Wow. So I had students that would work, I had one student that would work at the um, at the, the turkey plant. He'd get off seven o'clock in the morning. He'll come in my class. I was literally saying, hey, let's work for a little bit. I'll let you nap for 10 minutes. Right, right. I mean, literally, is that what I was doing for this wow. kid? So those are the challenges that were not kind of um, highlighted. Right, and, absolutely. And a lot of these kids who didn't have the family support, who had to drop out of school, and things of that nature, um, they fell farther and farther behind versus right. those who had the support and things of that nature. You know, when we went virtual, I learned a lot about our students too. Yes, virtual. And I'm talking elementary kids taking care of siblings while yeah. the parent, those that still had to work, working. Exactly. And I'm thinking, wow, wait a minute, you're in fourth and fifth grade maybe even some younger, and you're taking care of your siblings while your parent had to work. You know, it, yeah. it really, I think it made us open our eyes to, like you said, the disparities and 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 how things are not fair in this world, you know, and how this, this pandemic impacted the family altogether, where, you know, kids are expected to learn, but they're expected to also help raise the family or sometimes, yes. like you said, work. If there was work that they that they can do, or fine. Because remember, a lot of places shut down, closed down, so it was tough all around for everybody. Yeah, and and look, man, some some parents, I mean, um, would you know when you have the COVID, you have to isolate. Right. There were parents who had COVID. They were not. They were asymptomatic, but they knew they had COVID, but they had to go to work. Right, absolutely. Yeah, or their or their kids were sick. They didn't have a babysitter, and they sent the kids to school anyway because they had no choice. No. So that's a lot of what yeah. was going on, man, behind the scenes. That you know, um, it was tough, you know, having to make those decisions because you have people like, if I take a day off of work, I can get sick leave and get paid. Right. But those people who have jobs where you know there's no sick leave. Right. You don't work, you don't get paid. So they're making those kind of decisions. So yeah, it's it was tough, man. And you know what? What's 
interesting when I look at it, when we went back to school, you know, I'm not gonna lie, we were scared. Oh, yeah. because we were thrown back into the schools, no guidance, you know, besides washing your hands and wearing your mask and uh, using sanitizer. That was it. And they kept telling us, you know, stay three feet away from the kids. I mean, six feet. Then it went to three feet later. But I work in the classroom where you can't stand two inches away from the kids. You have to be hands on. And we dealt with fluids and, you know, bodily fluids of changing kids. And, and, And I often felt like we were that forgotten class, you know. When, oh, yeah. when the administration or, you know, the school boards are making decisions, they don't think about, you know, special needs. They don't think about the kids that have to be changed or that, you know, um, you might have a situation where a child uses a, uses a catheter or something like that. Yeah. They don't think about those things. You know, they think about the general education class and we, we were really scared. I'm just gonna, not going to front. It, I just felt like any day I was going to get cold. <laughs> but I was fortunate. I, I never did. I never yeah. got COVID. Um, one of my coworkers did. The other one did not. So we were fortunate, but it did spread through the children. So one of us could have been asymptomatic and not know. Well, uh, I tell you, um, at, at the school I was at, uh, I live in a county where it's um, a rural county. The politics are a little different. Yeah, a lot of people didn't believe the the, the virus was real. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying what party, and and so it was real political because it's supposed to be if there's an outbreak, it's supposed to close the school down. Right, right, right. So um, this uh, the school I was at, I I contracted COVID. Right. Um, uh, half our staff contracted COVID. Half our staff was out. Um, but they didn't close our school down. That's a whole nother story. Right. But I will tell you, um, that experience with COVID, it was probably the, I was as sick as I ever, ever was. Yeah. I remember Um, giving you a call and and you said that you don't Mark, you don't want this. Yeah, it was. Yeah. You and Jamel. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was, it was rough. It was, it was, I had one, one hospital stay. Um, but when I came out the other side of it, you know, when it's over, it's not over. Right, it took right. me a good, it took me a good three, four months to get back to, back to normal. Right. Like that's right. the fog, the brain fog and everything. But what I did do, I knew that after that, I would never put myself in a position like that again. Right. Right. Absolutely. I, I, I knew, I knew that I was going to be more vocal because I could have been gone. And guess what? The staff would have been like, oh, Mr. Smith, he was cool. He cracked jokes. Right. And then they would have advertised my position. Absolutely. The next the day. The yep. next day. So, yeah. And, and, you know, and that's the truth about it all. You know, we have to take care of ourselves, whatever yeah. that looks like. And not just talking about health-wise, but mental health. Oh, yeah. Um, I watch coworkers in the beginning of this pandemic, when we went back in person, walking in the hall, shaking their head. It was a couple, actually. One one of my coworkers did pass yes. uh, early on. Another one, um, she finally resigned. She said, I can't do this anymore. I can't take it. Yeah. And, you know, and it, it is disheartening because I even saw myself breaking down to the point that, you know, I just, 
I didn't care anymore. I was just like, you know what? You don't care about me. You know, I don't care about this job. You know, yes, I love the kids, but you know, I'm expendable. That's what I saw, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I've had the opportunity to talk to the school superintendent and, um, and some of the school board and I shared some of our concerns, but it, it was just like, okay, we'll give y'all more money. That's not going to cut it. You know, money's great, but yeah. it doesn't cut it. You know, we're in an environment that we are expected to teach. We're expected to make sure the kids are fed. We're expected to be problem solvers, you know, when they have issues at home and everything else. We're expected to be parents. We're expected now to be the medical professionals and counselors. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, we can't, we can't so, do all of it. So, so, so what they're doing, they don't, um, they don't give us the resources to meet those expectations. They give you the expectations, but not the resources Absolutely. to do it. And, and it wears you down. I, I know it's said about our burnout, man. I um, I I, I get I get the point where I'm tired, but I yeah. take those. I call those uh, those strategic mental health days. Absolutely, it may be a, a random Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> and I just call. I do it once, maybe once a month, maybe you know, yeah. and uh, just random. And I just lay in the bed. I don't get up. Or... Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, I, I wish. See, in my classroom, we didn't have that luxury. You know, it was three of us, but we had seven kids, wow. three, three wheel, two wheelchairs, and one that needed assistance here and there. Oh, so you have profound. Okay. Yeah. Profound. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Very much so. So, okay. like, getting a sub was hard because nobody wanted to come in because they have to do lifting. Oh, yeah, that's right. We yeah. have some solid kids. You know, you know how hard it is when they say, oh, you got to lift. Most subs are like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm not doing yeah. it. And, and then, um, and then playing people and stuff like that. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So, and it and it, it can be very extreme. Um, and then we had, you know, some some kids that were physical. So you're yeah. dealing with all this on top of that. Then you got COVID. And then you're trying to protect the other kids. It it got to the point, man. I was just like, you know, what, I'm done. I'm done. And there's nothing they could say at that point. I, you know, I talked to the um, talent acquisition. Teach um specialists that are at for Wake County. I was like, I'm done. I said yeah. I may consider coming back, but right now I'm done. Yeah. And once I explained, because you know, when I left, a lot of people didn't know what I was feeling. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember having a conversation with our counselor, and I want to get on this in just a second. I saw our counselor in the hall, and every day she was like, Oh, how's your day going? my day's the same you know we're doing the same fight every single day every day and and finally one day i just said look don't ask me about my day anymore if you're really that concerned ask me how i'm doing yeah and say and be genuine about it um and so she did she changed that and i asked her i said you know you're a counselor so do you just counsel kids or do you counsel staff as well she said well i only counsel with the kids and i'm thinking what good are you like you got staff right here struggling to maintain and we need an outlet we need somebody to talk to we got what we would consider a a counselor and i understand you're trained to work with kids but your co-workers are, are falling apart and you're watching it you know yeah uh <laughs> like I've, I've seen man i've seen um i've seen situations man where uh I've seen a teacher, I was in Charleston um, at the school, Schroeder Middle School in Charleston, South Carolina. And I remember this teacher literally having a nervous breakdown in the class. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, she we walked into class, the kids were all over the place, and she's at her desk just kind of banging her head on the desk. We had to yeah. call the ambulance to kind of take her out. And and, and that's that's real. It's real. It's a real thing. <laughs> that's real. That's real. That's let's see, that's the part of education that people don't see. They yeah. think it's all fun and games, and you know, we're teaching the kids to follow directions and doing, you know, doing what we're supposed they're supposed to be doing, but it's all the politics and everything else is tied into it oh. that makes our jobs stressful. Now I know you deal with more politics. Oh yeah. Can you share? Cause I know sometimes our, uh, no, I'm not going to say sometimes I want our listeners to understand as a, as a high school teacher, what is it like when you have to deal with the politics that intertwines with what you're supposed to be teaching? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 big thing in our, uh, of course, the big thing that was going through the country was CRT, critical race theory, things of that right. nature, and every everything. All of a sudden, CRT, which is taught in law schools, all of a sudden, <laughs> right? <laughs> we're in, we're indoctrinating our kids with um, this stuff, and really, what the um, what it really was, it was an attempt to stop any teaching of America's um, history when it comes to race and things of that right. nature. Right. So how I deal with it, you know, you know me a long time, Mark. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach right. slavery. Absolutely. I'm going right. to teach, I'm going to teach 1776, 1619, 1492, 1976, right. that, whatever. I'm going to teach it and I'm going to go by the standards. And if you disagree with what's in the history book or the facts, then you know some people are trying to change the facts. Right. But some people are fearful and worried about what's going to be said. I'm just not that dude. Right. You know, I'm going to teach it how it is. Period. And, and you know, and realistically, as much as we want to try to hide stuff from kids, they're smart. Yeah. Yeah. They know where to research and find the truth, the facts. You know, and yeah. the facts are out there. And you know, just let us teach that's my whole thing let us teach yeah. and stop being fearful of them learning the past yes this this country has a dark past yes and we can't escape it some of us are still dealing with the effects of the dark past it's coming yeah. back up as we look at the society now the dark past is still coming up you know no matter how much you hide it it's still there yeah because I, I had a student that you know uh Concern, well, well, you're teaching that, that that white people were bad or something. I said, listen, I said, when I teach history, history was, slavery was bad, things happened, but you know, there was a Harriet Beecher Stowe, you know, right? there right. were um, uh, white abolitionists. Uh, right, absolutely. That, that whatever, so, so yeah, you have to teach that it wasn't all that way, you know? Right, absolutely. Uh, our university, our Shaw University was founded by Henry Martin Tupper, right? Absolutely. So, and white, for those who don't know, he was white. Right. He was white, that's right. So, my thing is that um, there were there were good people in history, there were bad things that happened, good things right. that happened, but you can't attribute it to one race, you right, know? Right, absolutely. So, and, and so, look, so look at it that way. <laughs> absolutely and, and that's life in general you know there yeah. there are good situations and bad situations you know i i'm gonna switch it to vitiligo real quick then i'm gonna back up talk about counseling mm -hmm. um vitiligo you know some of us have great journeys with it you know we're living our lives and 
and nothing's stopping us. But some of us have those rough patches that we can look back on and go, oh, man, I've struggled so much. There's a lot that y'all didn't know. Yeah. Like, well, homecoming is why I wouldn't show up sometimes because I was I was having my struggles with vitiligo, you know. Yeah, I remember that. Um, Where Mark at, man? You come yeah. I'll be calling. Where you at, Mark? <laughs> and I found every excuse not to go on the campus because yeah. I remember I want you guys to remember me how I look, which I haven't changed much. You know, it's just I have a discoloration in my skin. Yeah. But back then, I wanted everybody to see me how I looked back when I was in school, not not the mark with the multicolored skin. But that was my own issue. And I had to get to a point where I say, you know what? That's my problem, not anybody else's. And I just have yeah. to live my life. And that's what I'm doing now, living, you know. Um, I know a lot of times we allow the past and the bad things of the past to creep up and mm. hold us down. But, you know, we've got to figure out a way to move forward. You know, with vitiligo, it doesn't stop you from doing anything. You know, if you play basketball, vitiligo, it does not stop you from dribbling or shooting. It you sure know, does. if you like to swim, vitiligo doesn't stop you from getting in that water. You know, we stop ourselves. You know, who cares if somebody's looking at your spots and counting how many, you know, spots you have or fascinated with it? You know, just live live life, man. And that's exactly what my headspace is. I'm living hey, my life. Look, if you find somebody, you know, we're educators. If you find somebody looking at it. That could be a teachable moment. Well, let, that is let a me, teachable moment. Absolutely. Let me explain to you what you're looking at. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I can look. Or I can go back to Shaw and uh, homecoming. People are like, what, what happened to your legs? What happened to your skin? That 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 comes for 30 years of stepping. And I just stepped all the skin off. <laughs> I stepped all the skin off, you know. But no, but on the real. And that's one of the things I do, too. I, I, I like to laugh, you know. Like, um, there was a moment in my life I could not laugh at my bit like oh. But I got now I'm at a point where. I can laugh about it. I can joke about it, you know, because uh, I realized it, vitiligo is not going to put me in the grave. That's true. Stress can do that. Yeah. Anxiety, all that stuff mixed together can do that. But vitiligo yeah. by itself, no. And I'm I'm learning, man. It, you know, people gonna love you for you, not for That's what true. you look like on the outside, but for you, what you do on the inside. They watch what you do for others. You know, all that stuff like that. So. Let me let me backtrack a little bit. Let's talk about on um, the importance of having counselors in the school, because you know as we're dealing with all these different things that are happening, that happened the past um, year, past two years of with COVID, and even backtracking everything that has happened in the schools before then and currently happen now happening now, um, what's the importance of having counselors on the school grounds? Not not in toll somewhere yeah well man let me tell you when you know i think we talked about a little bit pre-show um you know when we came through elementary and middle school there was like like three guidance counselors uh, at the school one per grade level almost and the focus weren't oh teaching and curriculum and all this stuff it was actually students that were having issues it was somebody to go talk to I think a lot of what's happening with our kids now is that, and we can fast forward to the adults, but especially with our students now, is the fact that they don't have anybody to go to because the God's counselor, look, the God's counselor is probably the next most stressed person on this. (laughs) Right. Because they got three or four schools to go to now. Exactly. So they're sharing the school. So there's no way in the world you're going to be able to serve these schools. 
And I don't Absolutely. know if it's an issue within the school district with resources, without resources, but over some something happened where they decided that it wasn't worth the money to um, extend for these counselors. And yeah. somewhere it also switched where it went from a function of dealing with the students' social emotional issues and it transferred to, oh, handling testing. <laughs> right, right, right. Things of that nature. So so it's having a big impact. Yeah. Right. And and you know, and that's what I, I think bothers me when I see that. You know, we have a professional, like in my school, we do have a counselor that's there every day. I don't think she has a shared responsibility with another school, but she's just one person. We used to have two counselors and they took her and moved her to another school. And I think, you know, whoever made that decision, wherever that decision came down um, mm. about getting rid of school counselors, that was a bad decision. That was a bad choice. We need school counselors. We need the social workers. We need the psychologists. All these people play an important role in the school system. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because like even in high school, man, even in high school, it was so New Brown High School when I was there, it was 10th, 11th, 12th grade. There was a 10th grade council, 11th grade council, 12th grade council. Right, absolutely. They called us in to this is where you need to graduate. This is what you right. need if you want to go to college. I mean, how are things going? Right, uh, absolutely. Come by the office and talk to me, those type of things. And like I said before, it's it's just not there anymore. It's, right. one, it's, I think it's like one guy's concept at high school, which is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and what it boils down to, I think, they are looking at teachers as counselors. Yeah. Oh, and, and we are. We, but no, we are the counselors. We, we are the counselors. We, we, we're, we're, we're the counselors. <laughs> the cafeteria workers. We're the, we're the, we're the caretakers. We're the hygienists. Yeah, yes, we are. Ordinate. Yes. Uh, we're the mini cafeteria. I have a yeah. big refrigerator in my room. I keep uh, uh, snack crackers, whatever. I have kids that come in hungry. You yeah, know? absolutely. That breakfast Correct. is not enough. So right. I keep my. Uh, refrigerator stocked with food, not for me, but for my kids. kids. Right, yeah. absolutely. Because you can't learn on an empty stomach. No. <laughs> so and so these are things, you know, like we don't hear about too much with the school system. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of hush hush. Um but even even I think about my my school my school age years, um I don't recall any black male teachers in elementary Middle school, I had one, uh -huh. and he hated my brothers, so he threatened me. <laughs> he, was, he was a wrestling coach or something. I don't know. He's a gym coach. He was a big dude, you know. Pretty Ricky called him. That's what they call yeah, him. You know, he walked up to me and flexed his muscles in my face and everything. I'm like, I'm not my brothers, man. I don't know what my brothers did to <laughs> you, but he got you shook, and you threatened me. Um, yeah. That wasn't a good experience, uh, Mr. Mims. I remember him. Wasn't a good experience yeah. with him. But when I got to high school, I had... Um, two black male teachers and a black principal. Um, and they were they were really cool. Now, my art teacher was a black guy. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Williams. And I remember just having just having great conversations with him. You know, oh, we yeah. talked about art a lot and you know, just talked about how we're so different as people, how we could be visualizing things differently. So I never expect you to do things the way I do it. And just really just really cool, you know, and it made me feel good that I had teachers I can talk to and I can relate to. Um, now, the principal, 
I was scared of him. He was like, I, I swear he was seven feet tall, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> Mr. Farmer, but I don't think he was seven feet tall, but he was he was huge. He was a tall guy, but he was always visible, always oh, in the yeah. hall, always no, no, talking no, 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 to the ones, yeah. yeah. And it and it made an impression uh on me that you know this man was commanding not just in his size, but he approached people with compassion oh, yeah. to talk to the students, you know. Um did you ever have uh, male teachers in elementary school? Yeah, um, elementary school, I didn't. Um, in in middle school, uh, see, see, you went to Wake County schools, right? Right, right. So, so when I came up, uh, it's not that way now because Newburgh's grown. Um, it, it was only one middle school in the district. Oh, okay. And well, in, no, not in district, but in Newburn, in the city of Newburn. Okay. okay that gotcha. was H. J. McDonald. We had uh, we had Mr. Pickens, who was he was an Omega. He was a okay. Uh, yeah, he was a uh, he was a math teacher. Um, the art teacher was a a gentleman named Mr. Bernie. Uh, he taught my parents, so that's how long he was in the game, right? <laughs> um, so but I remember uh, in high school in uh in the ninth grade. Mr. Hicks, he was the principal. Okay. Uh, he was a mega, mega as well. Uh, and it, we had a few, Mr. Mumford. Uh, yeah, it was a few I remember going okay. through. Yeah. But it I, was, yeah, it was a few. <laughs> but I think now, one of the things I've noticed, um, and I had yeah. a chance to tour quite a few schools in Wake County. Um, I was a pres president of the Teacher Assistant Association, so I had a chance to go to several different schools. Yeah. to observe and I didn't see too many men men of color yeah. and I say men of color meaning whether black Latino and I'm talking about in the elementary school setting now yeah. middle school high school I saw more mainly yeah. mainly high school there was a whole lot more elementary I might run into one yeah and it's kind of crazy because we would look at each other like wow there's a black man you know it like like we were some type of myth that did not exist and I've also always advocated, like, we need more black men in the elementary school setting. Well, well, I look at the stats. Like I said, I yeah. looked it up. Only two percent of two percent of the teachers wow. in the country are black males. And you know what? And only two percent of the population of the world have vitiligo. So there we go. That two percent. <laughs> but um, yeah. But but you know that's sad though, because it should be more yeah. men, black men in the school system because you know it, it there's a different vibe um that we bring to to education oh um, man look there's a different already, level of respect yeah look it, it's we, it, we know we look it's an unspoken thing we we walk into the spot it's right. just a presence you're right and uh, sometimes i can look at a child and they're doing something yeah. wrong i won't say anything just look yeah. i might shake my head yeah and they know like i don't have to say anything to you yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. That's what's I, missing. I, I, I have a I have a stare or I have a you know a quirky thing. I said right. uh if, if I took that picture, what's wrong with the picture? <laughs> yeah, that hat, uh -oh. take it off. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah that, that your picture's all wrong. Let's retake that picture. <laughs> right, absolutely. Hey, and you gotta know how to connect with them, you know, and oh, yeah. and, and they know you. They they yeah. you know the, we can say things to them, nothing inappropriate, but we can we can tell them about themselves in a very professional way and they understand it. 
like mm-hmm. I know you like certain music, but you can't sing that here. You can sing it when you get home, but you're gonna leave Jay Z or whoever you singing at home. You know, you can say stuff like that, yeah. and it's not offensive. You hit that on the on the nail on the head about it's called relational capacity. Absolutely. Um, I have a great relationship with my students, and I can get at my students in a tone where another teacher might get cursed out. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. Yeah. Because because once that, especially at the high school level, um, once those students know that you're genuinely concerned for them, right, they'll take that correction. They'll take it, and also don't do it in front of their friends. We 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 know we know how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they got to defend themselves. Then you're doing it in front of the friends. Now they're upset, and you know because yeah. you embarrass me. Yeah, just yeah. You, you got to know how. You got to know how to talk to them. Yeah. And and what I found in the elementary school, yeah, um, our kids. I'm gonna say at a young age they come prepackaged with sometimes trauma built in. You oh know, yeah, um, or situations built in where you got to break through some barriers to get to them. And I, I explained that to some of our teachers. They said, well, I try to give a child a hug and I try to, don't, don't touch us. Oh, see. No, that, if we don't invite you in, don't go in. You know, if you're invited, if that child initiates a hug, you know, when they're upset or when they're happy, that's cool. But if that child is upset, don't touch them. Yeah. <laughs> well, well I, I tell a lot of mistakes that, that teachers make, a lot of them uh, is that they look at, they look at students through their lenses. Right, right, right. Like they look at like I woke up this morning. I had a big breakfast. I had lights on in the house. I had yeah. So so we assume we don't know that a lot of times. Um, I don't know the district. You know the part of town your school's in, but a lot of times these kids come to school with lights off, no water, running water, yeah. things of that. That side of town. Yep, live live in homeless shelter. So right. when they when they get to the classroom, the last thing on their mind is learning right right unfortunately right they're surviving they're so it's you're so you're in survival mode and so when you're teaching a child in survival mode you might have to let them have their head on the desk for a few minutes to get started you know you you may have to give them a leeway to you know just kind of be off in space a little bit because they probably saw their mom get beat up Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Or maybe even their dad being arrested or something happening. Yeah. You know, we, we just don't know what kids are witnessing and seeing. And they bring it to school and, and the only safe place they have yeah. is with the teachers at school. And and yeah. I want to and I want to um, bring up this topic. And for our listeners, we're going to talk about uh, the situation we just witnessed, you know, um, earlier this uh, last week. Uh-huh. and again this week in so many ways and has been happening for generations um and we're talking about you know the violence in the schools yeah not between the students but the things that are happening to the students in the school and staff um you know i had a conversation james with some co-workers and we just shared that we have this genuine fear that our school could be next oh yeah you know and and as much as we see people sharing comments of what should be done in the school system, what yeah. teachers need to do. I'm going to say this, don't arm a teacher. Uh, look, we don't need to be armed. Look, don't take any exits out of the schools. You know, these are some of the things I've seen throw up, thrown up by political parties. Yeah. And what we need to do 
I this is just my thought, you know, collectively, have a discussion to figure out what is the best way to keep the children and the teachers safe. Because, yeah. you know, we don't want to see any more colleagues. We don't want to see any more of our students across the world, you know, not across the world, but across the country, you know, being funeralized. Funeralized. We don't want to see that. You know, we we want to see our kids graduating, being happy, living their lives. We want to see our teachers uh, retiring, you know, yeah. at an older age, not where you know we're we're seeing them lose their lives, and it's and it's very disheartening, you know. Well, um, you know, I was my brother and I. We have a podcast, and a gentleman asked me point blank, you know, did I think teachers, you know, teachers maybe should be armed? And I and I bought the point. I said, listen. Um, I see teachers that lose it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And another thing is too is let's say you live in a state like Florida or Texas where uh, a, a student attacks a teacher and the teacher shoots the student and says, oh, stand my ground. Right, right. right. So, so you're opening up a whole nother uh, can of worms. Um, yeah. And and I would say at at, at, at my school, of course, I have an alternative, I say before I work at alternative school, I teach there, excuse me. And we get, you know what students we get? The students that have threatened to shoot yeah. up the school, their high school, they get yeah. sent to us. Now, at our school, first of all, to get in, uh, you have to be buzzed in. So you're just not right. going to walk right. in. Right. Another thing is also, when time you walk in the door, within six feet, there's a metal detector. And then every student has to empty their bags and everything and wow. get searched before they get in. Because that's we're at we're we're at our turn of school, so we have to Right, absolutely. I'm absolutely. not saying that'll work at every high high school, whatever, but I do right. think the metal detector and having a person just not be able to open the door and walk in. Right. That's your first line of defense. And, and you know, in the elementary, because we had a conversation, we were looking at the dynamics yeah. of our school and the way it's set up. You know, we have to have the key card to get in. You can't just open yeah. any doors. All the doors are locked. Yeah. But, you know, we sat and had a discussion. What would happen if we had an active shooter, you know, in our school? Um, And like, like I said to the counselor, not the counselor, to uh, my coworkers, I said, our, our custodian is the first line of defense because he's yeah. the only one in the hallway at the time, unless we're escorting kids, you know, to, you know, CCR and other classes or they're going to lunch. I said, and I'll probably be the next one to get called because anytime something happens at school, they call me. Yeah. Well, so. It, it it's a hard situation, you know, because you don't want to think about it. Yeah. Well, I, I, what you hear? What honest, honest teacher talk? Yes. Let's yeah. bring it. Here, here, here's here's what we say, because you know we we take this training, this C, CPI training, where you got to right. practice the holes. Right. And, right. And look, and during the whole training, all the we're giving each other the side eye. Yeah, you know, because really, because. When it goes down, <laughs> that goes and the same thing with the active shooter. You know, yeah. uh our our principal, Dr. Key, he'll go down and he's there's a cold word when there's a when there's a 
armed person in the building. We do that drill right. once a month. He'll say mm -hmm. he'll say the code word, and we'll we'll say, "Oh, it's the code." We'll go lock the door, and right, and we'll go cut the light. We'll sit down, and we'll oh, all clear. But we know that hey, when it, if it really goes down, instincts kick in before Instinct. training. Yep. Absolutely. You, you may be too nervous to go knock the lock the door. You may panic. You may freeze. Absolutely. So the thing is, sim simulation versus when it really happens, I know it's two different things that's going on. Right. You know. So that's the thing about. Uh, we hope if it does happen, everybody's thinking that will we would training kick in, or will our instincts kick in? And, and that's and the issue. And, and that's the thing you you just you don't know. Yeah. And I, re I recall a situation. It wasn't anything dealing with firearms, but there was a major fight happening at our school. This is an elementary school, and just just for our listeners, yes, they do fight at elementary schools, and yeah. yes, they can be very serious. Yeah. And I was called down to assist, and I saw the counselor. She was like, well, "Why are you not running?" I said, "Well, first of all, I was trained." I need to check the scene before I get involved because I need to know what's happening. I said, if you're blindly running into something, you don't know what you're running into. Exactly. And I wasn't playing that game. I need to see what was happening. Once I was able to observe what was going down, there was no weapons involved. I was yeah. able to jump in. But, you know, as a man, well, I'm going to say it from my point of view as a man, because I can't speak yeah. for every man that's at my school. My instinct is to is to jump in and save and help. Yes, you know, and um, and I have cuts and bruises all over my arm, which is turned into vitiligo. To prove that, you know, like if I see somebody being hurt, I'm gonna jump in. Um, yeah. a situation, you know, when you deal with firearms, our priority is still the the students, you know. Yes, and you want to make sure they're safe. And I think about students that I work with. Yes. They most of them would not know what's happening. That's right. You know, because they're we think in terms of the general education students, you know, get all the students in one room, they'll listen, they'll follow directions. Yeah. I have students that don't understand or right. that are in wheelchairs. So that's right. These are things that are not thought about when it comes to school safety and truly how having to keep your students safe and staff, you know, and um and those once a once a month drills, yeah, it's effective for a drill. But I also think there should be ongoing training for staff. Yeah, um, how to handle when you have a student, even in elementary school, that becomes irate and have made threatening comments. You know, we need to take that stuff serious. You know, um, because most times we we laugh and think, oh, little kids won't. Yes, they will. Yeah. You know, little kids can be just as violent as yeah, yeah, high schoolers. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I, I just think it's a it's a good question and uh, an issue. And I think that uh, the resource officer, he should be at the front of the school. He should, uh, yes. He should be at the front of school. Now, not like you remember the situation where in Florida and Parkland, I think Parkland, where the resource right. officer, he he was close to retirement, so he said, forget this, I'm going to, yeah. which is unfortunate, but he yeah. went, you saw him going the opposite direction away from it because he was, right. you know, um, but Risa's office at the front of the school, and, uh, but yeah, if, if, but the thing about it, unfortunately, if someone has the intent 
of coming to do match carnage, that person has the element of surprise. Right, absolutely. Yeah, so because it's not something we think about, you know, yeah. we're thinking about teaching, loving our kids. We're not thinking about, oh, this is the day somebody's coming to the school. Um, and I don't want us to be in that mindset teaching. You know, I just want yeah. us to be able to teach and and have fun with the students, not to not to do this in fear, you know. And and yeah. unfortunately, this this country is only showing us. Here we go, another another shooting, another incident, another this, you know. Yeah. And, and I often wonder how 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 many more before something's done on a legislative, you know, level. And, and and the thing is, um, you know, America, this is a country that's steeped in that Second Amendment. Right. You know, right. It's, it's, it's cultural. And um, like other countries, you know, don't have these issues. Right. Um, Absolutely. To this extent, you know, because but here in America, I mean, uh, God, guns, are, you know, God and guns, you know, that's right, basically right. how it goes. And for some of them, it's interchangeable. <laughs> right, absolutely. So, and and so, it is just so so what can you do? Do you there was an assault weapons ban under the Clinton administration, right. but under the Bush administration it was leveled out. Right. So I mean I hate to think this way, but you know, uh AR fifteen, thirty rounds at a time versus a handgun, I mean, do you start doing the calculation? Less carnage right. if you yeah. But you know it's yeah, it, it, yeah it's, it's a hard it's, discussion. It's hard, it's hard. Yeah, uh, but it, but I wanted to have it for our listeners because yes. you know a lot of times we don't hear from educators. You know, I think about yes. what just happened at Rob Elementary. No one's talking to the teachers to find out how has it affected them. They've talked to mm-hmm. the students, they talked to the police officers, yes. but as educators, we're traumatized from a lot. You know, oh, yes. and now you're adding school shootings on top of the pandemic and everything else else that's going on. Unfortunately, we're gonna lose a lot more educators. They're gonna quit. They're gonna go into other professions. You know. Yeah, yeah. I I think right now with with the with the pay, yeah, um, and the pay with the pay and uh, with with all the stressing um, that's going on, people are saying it's just not worth it. You have you have right now. You have classrooms now that are being uh, filled by subs, right? Um, yeah, yeah, they can't find anybody. So, so, and, and look and, and listen, that that affects the low wealth districts. You know, yeah, yep, absolutely. See, 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 when we talk about these issues with not finding qualified teachers and everything, no, we're not talking about every school now. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. You up there, in Raleigh? Oh, oh, oh! Think, oh, think, Heritage is having a problem finding a science teacher. No, they're not. But I'm gonna tell you right now, Fox Road is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so, and and I'm just gonna put it out there. My my school yeah. is predominantly black and Latino, yeah. so we are dealing with a lot of our position. Not I shouldn't say a lot. We have some open positions that are being filled by subs. Yeah, or not filled at all. Um, and it's sad because we we're gonna lose a few more teachers at the end of the year because they're going to. Farmington Woods and Cary or somewhere else in Cary. Yes. That's a difference. Well, what, what they'll do, they'll they'll come to a school um, that's challenging, mm-hmm. get their two, three years of experience, uh, and then they'll move on. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah to to yeah they they come there not vested they they are they come to the school already with an exit strategy right 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 so, and, and you so know yeah. and then our kids suffer for it unfortunately they do they do and and you know and but when I left, you know, it was hard to leave. I'm gonna be honest. When I left in December, it was hard to leave, but I had to do it for my own personal reasons, my own sanity. Yes. But I also knew I wanted to come back. I was eating lunch one day and I reached out to the um, talent acquisition um, uh, person for Wake County and I said, Hey, I'm interested in coming back. She said, This is what you need to do. Trust me, you won't have a problem finding a job. She yeah. said, Because we need you. And being back at the school, though, has given me so much joy. Um, but I, I still see where there's some things that can change. And and one of my coworkers asked me this, though. She said, nothing has changed around here. So what's going to be the difference? I said, yeah. the difference is me. <laughs> I'm not worried about the school. I said, right. right now, it's me and my mindset and how I'm seeing things. I said, you know, that, that six months away gave me a lot of clarity. Yeah. And, exactly. and how to approach some things and what can be changed to make it better for all of us. And um, so I think the next school year is going to be a, a great one, you know. Um, and I did say to one of my, not one of my coworkers, but to the assistant principal, she asked me, she said, well, what are your thoughts about, you know, the pandemic, what we're going through and, and just the morale of the school? I said, you got to think about it. We've been dealing with this for about two and a half yeah. years. Yeah. I said, it's going to take us a good two years to come out of it. I said, yeah, but yeah, once yeah. we come out of it, we're going to come out better because we just got to rebuild. And and here's the part people not talking. Uh, you had students that lost a whole two years of instruction. A whole two years. Yes. That's a and long so, time. So they, so I had kids that came to me and they, they were, they were, everybody was promoted. Right. Uh, right. So they lost I, two years. <laughs> I, look, look, I'm oh, told Tam, I'm looking, if I go to the doctor, a new doctor, I'm looking at his degree on the wall. If it says like 2020, whatever. I'm saying, uh -uh. <laughs> Dude, you were going, that, that was like the, the Avengers blip right there, you know, yeah, yeah, you people did. disappeared and then they come back. Yeah. But no, that's the reality of it. Exactly. You know? But I um, yeah. Okay. But yeah, no, I'm just thinking, I said, you know, but, but we have a lot of work to do in our, yes. um, in our schools, you know. And and I I really wanted to have an, a fellow educator on this this show so people can hear, and understand. But before we go, James, because uh, I want to honor your time, uh, we've been off about almost an hour now. Okay. Um, can you leave the listeners with something positive, words of encouragement? Man, well, like I say, um, with me uh, teaching to the uh, to the educators who are feeling stressed, who are working hard, and they they don't feel they're seeing the fruits of their labor. Just look at it like this here. Um, as educators, we're planting seeds. Right. And sometimes the, the dirt or the ground that we plant that seed in may not be fertile, may not seem fertile. But I've been in it long enough to know um, students that were people thought they were being given up on or didn't have a chance now those students are inviting me to their college graduations absolutely so all i say is that don't look at it as if um 
you're not making an impact. You're planting seeds. And when you look at these students and whatever rough exterior they come in, speak to that child's potential, right. what you see them being. Don't be so fixated on what their current circumstance is. You're planting seeds. You may not be there to see it mature, but keep planting those seeds. Absolutely, absolutely. Great words to live by. And, and I, I want to add one thing before I wrap up. To our parents who are listening, um, the Vitiligo community and other people who are listening to this podcast, you know, if you know an educator or if you see someone who's a, a teacher or anyone who works in the school system, you know, take some time out to, you know, you might not want to hug them. I, I get it because of the pandemic, but let them know how much you appreciate them because we're still struggling through this thing. We're still trying to maintain um, the end of the year is almost over unless you're in a year round school. But, you know, we just want to know that we we are appreciated and that people care about us. You know, that's very important um, as we're pouring into our students every day. We need somebody to pour into us. So if you see one of the educators pour into us, yeah. and I, I'm saying that, you know, you can pray for us, you know, yeah. but sometimes we need a little more than just prayer. You know, yeah, yes, we do. Your, your words matter. You know, just smile at us, something, something to make us feel seen, you know, as, as educators in this world. But James, man, I greatly appreciate you coming on. It's a great conversation. Always yeah. great talking to you, brother, you know? Yeah, no problem, man, no problem. All right. Now, for our listeners, once again, thank you for tuning in. As I always say, make sure you love someone, you know, whether it's your friend, family, coworker, uh, a, a loved one. You know, make sure you show some love. But most of all, look in the mirror and tell the person that you see, I love you. You've been listening to Living Life and Love. I'm your host, Mark Braxton from Raleigh, North Carolina. Y'all take care. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to Living Life and Love. I'm your host, Mark Braxton from Raleigh, North Carolina. Bit Friends Podcasts are sponsored by my Vitiligo team.